the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and your host for the See What the Game podcast. With the Pac-12 media contracts still in limbo and CU's transfer portal editions winding down, it's a good time to visit the mailbag. As always, questions are welcome at see what the game, see you at the game at gmail.com. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland, and we will discuss the burning CU questions of the day. Dan Patrick at Fox Sports says Coach Prime and his buffs could go 0-5 in September and yet still ultimately be considered successful. Is that a realistic assessment or is it just national media hyperbole? With the roster largely in place and no transfer backup quarterback in sight, is Coach Prime going to need to have Travis Hunter in a wildcat formation as plan B for the 2023 campaign? Or will it be Shadur and a prayer for his health, being CU's best hope for the season? Will the Pac-12 media contract ever get done? Will it contain a number of games which will be exclusively aired by streaming services? And is it possible that that could be a good thing for the Pac-12? Did CU overreach when it came to pricing the single game tickets for the Nebraska game? Will those high prices help to keep the red out? Or will the high prices help CU's bottom line, but only serve to guarantee more Cornhusker fans in the stands on September 9th? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back. Joined from Highlands Ranch, Colorado by Brad Geiger. How's Brad doing? Brad's pretty good. Had a little basement flood from the wettest May in the history of mankind or whatever happened to us, but recovered from that and doing okay. Okay. And Neil Langland from our scout from downtown Denver, judging crowds. How are, how are things in Larimer Square today? That's uh, pretty quiet tonight. So here we are, late May as we speak which is supposed to be quiet time. And then I think in the first six months of the Coach Prime era, this has probably been as tame as it's been since he was hired. It's at least as quiet as it's been in the last six months. Would you guys uh, agree with that assessment? Unquestionably true. Although uh, still, you know, we're still checking the transfer portal every single day. 
you know, and trying to determine how many defensive linemen is too many defensive linemen. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's at least a little bit quieter because, you know, shockingly, there is no Pac-12 media announcement going on. (laughs) Yes, once again, our promise of a Pac-12 media deal discussion does not come to fruition. So sorry about that, Neil. You weren't with us last time, but Brad and I finished the last podcast all but guaranteeing that there would be a Pac-12 media discussion for our next podcast. But oh, well. Sad to say, unless you've got some inside info you want to share, Neil, uh, we don't have a deal yet. Well, George has been calling me the past few days. I just haven't <laughs> been able to take the call. Yeah. Yes. Wilner's well, had some stuff the past few days. His surmise doesn't seem to be as good as any, which is we have a framework of a deal and just not finalized yet. And maybe we have some latecomers that are going to make us happy with lots of money, but otherwise he predicted, or excuse me, I think one of the uh, university presidents said, absolutely by July. And it's like, well, yeah, we heard that for July 22 as well, so. Yeah, well, it it was supposed to be, I'm still waiting for the announcement at the uh, Pac-12 Men's Championship basketball tournament in Las Vegas. So maybe that hasn't happened yet, but. Uh, so we're going to dip into the mailbag for this podcast, and we got some good questions from uh, some see you at the gamers out there. And again, anybody that wants to post a question for later consideration or just any question anytime, just see you at the game and Gmail is always there. First question, uh, Brad, we'll start with you. It comes from TG. We don't have as many good uh, monikers this time as the last mailbag, but you know, a few names. TG. You quoted Fox Sports, Dan Patrick is saying, what if Dion goes 0-5? And he might. But that doesn't mean he won't be successful. Do you take that as an insult, a backhanded compliment, or a realistic view of CU's future? A, B, or C on that one, Brad? I think it was meant as a backhanded compliment. I doubt Dan Patrick has done a deep dive into the CU schedule. So he didn't realize how implying that we would lose Colorado state might freak people out. But I think when he looks at, you know, we play TCU in Nebraska, I think his point was, listen, this is a hard start and we should be careful about that. I think he meant it as a compliment to Dion. I think he was trying to be realistic about it. We're Colorado state, not in that list. It probably wouldn't have been quite so offensive. (laughs) <laughs> so you know taking uh dan patrick as a one and four as opposed to an zero and five considering that cu is a 20.5 point underdog to tcu on the road and a touchdown underdog at home to nebraska and haven't beaten well haven't beaten usc ever and haven't beaten oregon since 2016 is that actually a pretty fair realistic prognosis as to what CU September might look like? Well, we've had pretty complete roster turnover, at least in terms of the two deep since the spring game. And from last year, probably we will have a completely new defense and maybe one or two starters on the offense from last year. I think it's realistic in the sense that it's going to take more than just a training camp 
to get those guys together. It's going to take more than a summer of workouts to get those guys on the same page because they don't know each other. They don't know the offense or the defense that well, some of the newer guys. So I think it's realistic to expect a slow start regardless of who CU is playing and coming up against a team like TCU, which probably won't be as strong this year, but I think their first game out, it's going to be a lot to expect CU to win that game. Um, Nebraska, they are coming loaded. They see it as a culture war, I think, as the Pat Narduzzi characterized crooked CU program for turning over the uh, the roster and putting all these poor kids out on the street, as well as they got Matt Ruling and we were stuck with Coach Prime. I think that's going to be a big deal and they're going to be highly motivated. It's going to be hard to win that game, honestly. CSU is selling its soul to beat CU. So I expect to win there, but it's not going to be easy, especially after the emotional game against Nebraska the week before. And, you know, my God, I think the schedule makers wanted to get as much D out as possible while the shelf life was still there. So I hate to say it, but it's semi-realistic that it could go on five, yet the coaches and the players could be doing a great job putting themselves together. They're just against a murderer's row of a schedule, minus yeah. one with respect to Brad. I, I'm there could be that. some success without success. A team that yeah. was losing by an average of three or four touchdowns a game might actually be doing better, certainly better than last year's team would have done, but still might not show up on the the scoreboard or and might not show on the one loss record, at least initially, which will make us more excited for October and November for a change. So Neil, we'll go to the next question. I guess this is kind of a clever name. It's Buff and Stuff. You know, you can take that as uh, <laughs> Buff and Stuff asks, there have been a mind-numbing number of stories about the remaining members of the Pac-10 being unified. Are we being told the truth? Will CU be a member of the Pac-10 slash 12 slash 14 slash 16 in five years? So getting to what you were just alluding to a little bit earlier, Neil, do you uh, think that there is a unified Pac-10 and that CU is going to be a member of that group? Or is there you know, betting odds going up that we're going to be moving on to the Big 12 or in the somebody else's fictitious world, the Big 10? Well, as the old Saturday Night Live routine in the early days said, uh, General Francisco Franco is still dead. The Pac-12 still, <laughs> still does not have a media agreement. And there's still no clear picture of what's going to happen to the Pac-12, 10, whatever we are. Uh, and that's, I think, beyond the control of anybody within the Pac-10 uh, cluster because it's largely dependent on external factors such as what Fox and ESPN want and what the Big Ten wants to do. So I'd say the chances of there being a Pac-12 three years from now, pretty good. But there are downsides to it that we are unable to really gauge the probabilities. So I'd have to say the safe bet is there will be a Pac-10 or 12 in three years. Okay, uh, Brad, uh, 
kind of a two-parter there, the fact that whether or not they're unified now versus whether they're going to be unified in, in five years. So we're going to get the media deal by June 30th, perhaps, if that's the the latest deadline, or are you more concerned about where we're going to be in 2029? I think um, that by 2029, there's going to be a very different viewpoint of how football is organized. Um, and I'm not sure that conferences are going to be a massive part of that, at least as we see them. Um, I've continued to say that I think at some point we're going to see something like a top 40, top 50, top 60 organization separate from the NCAA. I think the money will encourage that. Right now, the Pac-12 is organized or is uh, unified. Um, as unified as a bunch of, you know, as 10 schools that all have their own interests can be. I think we'll get a media deal. I don't think it'll be as good as it's not going to match some of the big ones, but I think it'll be somewhere along the lines of the ACC. And I think that will get us through the next four or five years. And then as pressures elsewhere come, we'll see who thinks they're in the top and who's not. Okay. Well, well, let me ask both of you, because it just wasn't one of the mailbag questions, but it just came up that uh, the ACC announced that they were going to do a different revenue distribution when it came to postseason dollars. So their contract, you know, that they're bound at the hip till 2036 and Florida State and Clemson and a few others are trying to find ways to make more money for themselves. So they got the ACC to agree to uneven distribution, if you will, or bonuses for those programs in football and basketball that make the postseason. Can you see the Pac-12 doing something like that as part of their upcoming media deal to try and keep Oregon and Washington from defecting? And if it and if so, is that a really is that a good deal for the Pac-12 as a whole? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I thought in retrospect and maybe halfway through uh, this media deal that maybe 12 years was a little too long. And then the ACC signs up into to 2035. I have no idea what they were thinking, except trying to keep the better teams committed. Now, the Pac-12 was built on equal revenue, revenue shares pretty much all the way through. Uh, I think that may have been one of the reasons UCLA and USC moved is they felt that they were pulling dead weight like Colorado, Arizona, and other schools. And that may indicate in order to keep Oregon and UW in the fold that there's going to have to be some sort of incentive uh, compensation like the ACC has done. As I understand it, basic revenue sharing from regular season is going to remain equal. Right. It's all based on postseason. And yes. yeah, there, there's a certain fairness to that, I think, to reward the teams that are bringing in money for the conference. I think that's okay. And well, if the ends up doing it, I think it will be to their benefit. Brad, could, can you live with that? I mean, the Pac-10, not the new and improved Pac-10, but the old Pac-10 between you before Utah and Colorado joined did have unequal sharing of revenue, which benefited UCLA and USC. Mm -hmm. And those of us that remember Colorado and the Big 12 remember Texas getting its own, <laughs> con, had its own network, which actually helped leave 
to the dissolution of the Big 12. So is it a, a danger to allow Oregon and Washington to have extra dollars for extra play? Or is it actually maybe a good thing because maybe now Colorado might be in the conversation for actually being in the postseason someday? I think that there will be some sort of movement um, towards distributing money to the teams that have earned it in the postseason. Um, how that's going to work, I don't think there'll ever be a Washington, Oregon get more off the top if they don't make the postseason. But particularly in football, given how limited the postseason is and how big that jackpot is, I wouldn't be surprised if something in the media deal say, hey, if you're the one in the, you know, in the bowl championship, then yeah, you get to keep more of that money. And I don't think, I don't have a particular problem with that. And that then just means CU has to play its way in. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Um, it's a complicated thing. And what do you do with basketball and that kind of stuff? Because remember, all that's still sitting out there as well. But I would be very surprised if that kind of discussion is not being had right now. And it may be part of why there's a holdup. Okay. Well, moving on, Brad, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, this is from Six Winds or Bust. You know. <laughs> a prediction. <laughs> CU can't go into the season with two freshman backup quarterbacks, can they? Tell me there is a backup on the way through the transfer portal. Or does Coach Prime plan on having Travis Hunter play Wildcat if Shadur Sanders gets hurt? So... <laughs> We've talked ad nauseum about the uniform of the experienced backup willing to come to Colorado. Maybe part of the second question is more interesting is that uh, the backup plan, if the freshmen, true freshmen don't work out, that you just put Travis Hunter back there a la Randall Cunningham or something like that and just have him run quarterback draws all day? Uh, yeah. I Well, and if you're going to pull an analogy out of nowhere, I guess, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, um, Cordell Stewart late in his career playing slash. Although, of course, Cordell had a gun for an arm, as did Randall Cunningham, by the way. I don't know what the plan is. I suspect that if we were allowed to put Coach Prime on the on a polygraph, that he would admit that he does not know what the plan is. He didn't want to go into the without um with those two freshman backups. And would I be shocked that Travis Hunter played some version of the Wildcat, even if we don't have an injury to Shadur Sanders? No, 100% not. We, that, we still, we've already got the LaVisca Chenault plays somewhere in a computer somewhere, <laughs> right? So yeah. <laughs> the idea that those plays would get pulled out doesn't surprise me. I really want a backup quarterback. I guarantee you that, Everybody on the team wants a backup quarterback, you know, but I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, Neil, with your bat phone connection to Rick George, you know, we might next time you talk with them, ask him about whether or not they got a backup quarterback plan or whether or not we're just going to have <laughs> 10 four-star wide receivers and can't get the ball to them, or are just going to do jet sweeps the rest of the season. So any take on that, Neil, or is there going to be just another redshirt freshman that also doesn't have experience just to have another body in the room or how do you see this playing out for CU? 
I wish I had some great insight uh, to this, but I don't think they're going to be able to find anybody. I'd be surprised if they're going to be able to find someone. Although I saw a post the other day that uh, this poster believed that Cody Hawkins still had a year of eligibility. <laughs> uh, so, you know, maybe he's worth a phone call, but, you know, it's going to be hard to get someone in here uh, that's not an underclassman, relatively inexperienced, because they know that they're not going to get to play for two years. And then they're going to be in a cutthroat competition with the other underclassmen to see who succeeds Sanders. So uh, I think we're stuck with with uh, pretty much what we have, you know, and maybe we come out first series in uh, at TCU on the second and Hunter is playing wildcat and we're just going crazy. So they will have to, I think, restrict the offense like they did in 2021 where we only had one quarterback and when they wouldn't run the ball very much with the quarterback, the question becomes um, the effect of this. And we'll get to this later probably is um, can we pass protect this year? Not clear that we can. So it doesn't look good for the QB position. Yeah. It seems like plan B was hoping that's after spring practices that you could shake the trees and something would fall out, but it doesn't sound like that's, that's actually happened. Okay, going on to a question from Angelo. This is for you, Neil. The NFL announced that Peacock will have exclusive rights to an, to air a wild card playoff game this fall. If the Pac-12 agrees to have a number of games aired exclusively on streaming services, will the conference be ahead of the game or be making another grievous error like they did with the Pac-12 networks? Let's see, looking at the or part of that question, I think it's going to be hard to make a mistake greater than the Pac-12 networks. I mean, <laughs> that is the bar. I mean, that's a hard surface. You just can't get below that. Um, and we can go into the details if you want. But there are articles that have been appearing for years about cord cutting, about the rise of streaming. And it now seems that with recent announcements that uh, ESPN is going to make or rumored to be making their flagship uh, network piece available over the stream. It looks like it's headed that way and it may be a more efficient way to do it. So having some uh, games that stream, maybe some of the less popular games, just to get a, an idea of how it works is a great idea. And I think relating back to the question at the top of the show was, why don't we have a deal? And this could be one of the issues that is hanging it up or it's still under negotiation is how much goes with linear TV, how much for streaming? Because I think it's probably a good idea to have a few games that stream only and see how that goes. Yeah. Well, Brad, I mean, probably Colorado versus Stanford's not going to get a big audience regardless of the platform. So mm -hmm. to Neil's point, would it be worth it to have some of these games in the Pac-12 after dark or whatever the case might be through the streaming services? Because <laughs> as Neil pointed out, the bar can't get any lower than the Pac-12 network. So when your last place in terms of revenue of the five power five conferences, 
and somebody's going to throw some money at you to try something different. Can't get worse than last if you're already last, right? Right. College football games will be streaming next year or the year after. Whether or not it's a non-Power 5 conference or um, the Pac-12 becomes the first Power 5 conference to do it, that's just going to happen. It's it's not a, an issue that is before its time. It's an issue that probably is a little bit behind its time because, you know, college foot, the people running college football, the next inventive and intelligent inventive guy to do it will be the first. I mean, this is as hidebound a bunch as you've got. We still have guys at bowl games in silly looking jackets, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I think it probably, I wouldn't be, I'll be very surprised if the media deal doesn't include some streaming games. I don't know the cost of production. Um, I have some doubts about the quality of the production on a streaming game. Although I watched NFL football on Amazon last year, looked kind of interesting. It went okay. So um, would I like to be able to cut the Pac-12 network out of my cable and then play for the games on streaming? Yeah, I think there's other people who are going to agree with that. So um, I, I'll be shocked if it doesn't happen. Um, I don't think it's going to be an immediate gold rush, but it's just, it is a way to do it. My kids don't watch enough football, enough uh, live TV to matter. Yeah. So, so can I, I add something there real quick? Is that uh, the, val the residual value of the Pac-12 network, as Brad said, is on the production side because they have all the facilities, studios. They could provide the stream to a regular distributor like ESPN, Fox, NBC, what have you. And that could be a good synergy between the two. And I think that the streaming thing is just going to get bigger and bigger. And there's no downside to trying a few games. They absolutely have to do it. Because as Bob Dylan said, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> so any, any validity to the argument they talk, you know, some people say that when people are flipping through channels and... Brad, I've been doing that at your house for decades. When we've come back from games, we'd be flipping through to see what games are on Saturday night after we get back from Folsom Field. That if it's on a streaming service, you're not going to have that option. I'm looking at ESPN2, FS1, whatever the case might be, and people are not ever going to check into these games because they have to do something completely different to find it on a streaming service. Is that a valid argument or is that just we're old and we're set in our ways and don't like to change? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll click through games and then go yell at kids on our lawn and, and argue <laughs> with the clowns. I mean, <laughs> finding stuff streaming is what people younger than us do. Um, and they'll, you know, they, what's going to happen is, is that you and I are going to, have a game streaming on our on our tablet here and another game on the TV and we're going to you know do like and that's just how this works nowadays. So yeah, you have to go to it. It's not like folks aren't doing it every single day. So guys, one thing I I wanted to mention too about the Pac-12 networks, one reason why it was such a cluster was distribution. They oh. could not get on direct TV. And that was due to a pricing problem or Larry Scott's intransigence, whatever. 
if they go with a streaming platform, it should be available nationwide. And that should help with Pac-12 exposure. And that could be a big benefit, even if the revenue doesn't show up right away. Yeah. Right. Well, and people are going to find Coach Prime. Now, you know, whether or not they want to look for a Coach Prime for a two and seven team remains to be seen. But at least right now, people are seeking out if they've got people watching the CU spring game, then you think that there'd be people interested in seeing what Coach Prime does with the Buffs in, in October, at least. Well, and a streaming game, especially, you know, CU Stanford, you can mic up the coach. You can make it about the coach, not about the game. There is a certain way that you do television games. And we've been doing them essentially. I mean, when the big innovation is the yellow first down marker, uh, we've been yeah. doing these things the same way all my life. If it's cheaper to do a streaming game, maybe you can be more creative about it. You can, you know, like I said, you can have a mic on the quarterback. You can do different things. You can take more breaks. You know, heck, we. I haven't watched the Nickelodeon NFL games, but they draw um, somebody's people, watching them people yeah. they do them enough to do them again yeah and they are going to do that that is something that pac-12 announced they're going to have you know mic'd up coaches they're going to have cameras in the locker rooms at halftime and pregame and things like that so they're going to try and have more of an interactive i don't know if you want to call it xfl experience or something like that but certainly moving off the dime a little bit I'm not sure whose turn it is, so I'll just throw it out there and see who is most interested. This comes from not John Wilner. So. <laughs> you lied. We've got these are some pretty good names. Okay, so maybe the games are better. Some of the names are better than I thought. So this is from not John Wilner. The preseason magazines don't seem to have much love for the Buffs. Are they not paying attention to the complete overhaul of the roster? Do they think this coaching staff won't be able to get the team prepared and able to play? As Neil kind of alluded to. Do they think the schedule is just too tough for the Buffs to break through? Or are they just full of, we'll just say, manure? So one of the above, go for it, Brad. Which, uh, why does the preseason magazine, why, I guess the over-under right now, is it three or three and a half yeah. for wins? Um, and I just I mentioned earlier 21 point, 20 point, five point underdog to TCU in the opener, touchdown underdog to Nebraska at home. So Vegas doesn't seem to have much interest in the University of Colorado despite all the national attention. So are they full of it? Or as Neil alluded to, that there's just not enough time to get cohesion for this unit to be any good in the first year under Coach Prime. Well, I mean, all of those are legitimate concerns, aren't there? I mean, even those of us who are rationally optimistic about CU football have exp have expressed those concerns. But, you know, as I was discussing about hidebound ways of college football, the guys who write the preseason magazines are not the most creative, forward-looking human beings in the college football media landscape. Plus, those things are written early. Coach Prime is trying, to, and this will relate to a later question as well. Coach Prime is trying to do something that's never been done before. Vegas does not make its money betting on people succeeding on doing something that's never been done before. College football magazines, the next time they predict the next big thing will be the first. 
<laughs> so this, I mean, this is just not how they operate. So uh, yeah, these are one realistic concerns that are then reflected by a bunch of people who don't think anything new is under the sun or can be done. And, you know, really are still frustrated that Bear Bryant is not coaching at Texas A&M. So <laughs> uh, none of this is surprising or unusual. None of these people can understand in any way the attraction of Coach Prime. And that's just exactly what we should have expected. Plus, again, they may not be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, Neil, would you like to get in your Professor Peabody way back machine and actually go way forward about nine months, get through this season, get through the four and eight, maybe five and seven or something like that, and get the next transfer portal class, get the next recruiting class, and get excited about 2024? Or do you think that there's still reason for Buff fans to be excited about what's going to be on the field for 2023? I think 2023, while it's going to be a transition year, we'll be able to watch that transition happen in real time. You know, it's going to be hard to observe within a game or from game to game, but if we compare game five to game two, game eight to game three, we're going to see progress. And what we have not seen here in Boulder is, well, maybe since 2016, is a team that improved throughout the year, that hung together. Uh, we were always stagnant or in decline. And so just that slight change of direction and that building of the, of the momentum is going to be fun to watch. And it was fun to watch during the McCartney years, during the Crowder years, watching a team build. That's going to be well worth our time and money to show up at Folsom and see it real uh, live in front of us. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's going to be well worth it. Now, to the crux of your question about whether 24 is going to be better. I don't think it depends so much on the record uh, in terms of attracting uh, recruits. I think it's going to depend upon uh, how Coach Prime and the team make it through. If they can keep building um, a culture, hate to use that cliche, keep building you know, a system that looks attractive, an offense that can move the ball, a defense that is physical, along with the crowds at Folsom and the enthusiasm there, that's going to be attractive. And I think 24 is going to be a year when you really start to see results in the win column. Okay. Well, Brad, the old saying was that, you know, first you lose big, then you lose small, then you win small, then you win big. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that the Buff Nation, A, will be able to tolerate that glacial movement or be be able to put up with the national media and the naysayers saying that we told you so that coach prime doesn't know what he's doing and tune that out and actually observe the improvement that the incremental improvement that neil's looking for on the field yeah because i don't think the enthusiasm for coach prime here among the cu fans is based on the national media I mean, these people turned out for that team last year. The <laughs> students did. Yeah. And they were egregiously bad. And so if we lose little in an exciting way, even a few times, I think that's going to happen. Yeah. It, 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 I'm not looking forward to the first couple of games of the season. I would love to beat Nebraska. I always love to beat Nebraska. I will die wanting to beat Nebraska. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, there's a reason we're an underdog and the, you know, I, I hate Nebraska, but I'm not going to bet in my house. We're going to beat them. So yeah, I think, I truly do believe that the enthusiasm for this team, particularly for coach Sanders, particularly for Shadur Sanders, particularly for Travis Hunter is real. And I think assuming we're not as bad as we were last year, and I don't think any team in the country can be as bad as we were last year, that the, the the fans will sit through it. You know, that, that might fall off if we have another second bad season in 24, but I think everybody we have more hope this year, but I think that hope is that we'll be better. And I think we will be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Neil, the next question is for you from David M. And this deals with uh, the Nebraska game itself. And uh, just before I get to that, uh, Brian Howe was asked in his weekly chat about if the CU went one and one their first two games would be more important to be TCU from a recruiting standpoint, national news standpoint than being Nebraska. And, you know, Brian again Hedges says, yes, it would be great to beat the team that played in the national championship game last year. But if you polled the CU fans that you want to be one and one after two games, there would be no question that they'd want to beat Nebraska, you know, and instead of beating TCU. But getting to the Nebraska game, and this is the day as we speak, the single game tickets went on sale to give up the rest. And they're probably all sold out by now, but maybe not. But last few thousand tickets went on sale today, including the Nebraska game. David M. asked, with tickets on the five-yard line for Nebraska being sold by CU to season ticket holders for $330 each, is that overreach? And did that backfire as there are plenty of expensive seats unsold? the inference being that they're now going to go to greedy Nebraska fans. Was it too much? They asked for too much for these uh, extra tickets or we just paying for coach prime salary out of the, the till of Nebraska fans. Well, let me preface by saying my personal preference is to beat Nebraska. And it's such a strong preference. I would say if TCU beats us 52 to nothing and we beat Nebraska by one point in double overtime, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Oh, and twice <laughs> on twice any week. No question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Anytime, anytime, anywhere. I'll take that. You know, with respect to the ticket prices, I did a little research. Uh, as a season ticket holder, I snagged a couple um, up in the top of the, the horseshoe. But I looked at uh, the five yard line seats in section 102 or three, and they went for 330. Uh, right now, to non season ticket holders, they're 460. On Vivid seats, they're 613 plus fees, and on Ticketmaster, they're about 660 plus. So my guess is that CU went to price these things as high as they thought they could to walk the line between maximizing revenue from the Nebraska folks while not scaring off too many CU casual fans. And my, my fear is that what they've done with the pricing is they've scared away the CU fans and we're gonna see a sea of red because those people have nothing else to do but to come to <laughs> and have their pockets picked. So 
I think that strategy may have backfired actually. Okay. Well, I was one of those that went on at 10 o'clock and got in the line. And because there's, um, Brad, you remember the folks came up from Florida for the 2019 oh, yeah. game wanted tickets again. And I felt been telling them for six months that I'll do my best to get your tickets. So I went on at 10 o'clock or as soon as Mickey hit, you know, I hit enter and I was in line for maybe 10 minutes wondering if all the tickets were going to be gone by the time I got there. And I asked for four tickets. So I'd have, well, obviously we got our season tickets, but then I got the two tickets for the guy from Florida and then two more that I might use for the CU at photo contest winner. And they were at $415 a piece. And I was freaked out about hitting the back button and maybe getting timed out or something like that. So I went ahead and plunked down 1660 bucks for four tickets. And then I saw one of the message boards that somebody did try and back out and then they couldn't get back in again. And as it turns out, there are still tickets being sold today, even after they went through all the season ticket holders. I thought the season ticket holders were going to buy them all. But yeah, CU is definitely making its money off of this. Um, and these are 40 yard line seats on the, the west side. So they're really good seats, but still pretty hefty amount to pay. So are there enough buff fans willing to pay for it? Or as Neil fears, Brad, do you think that uh, it's going to be a big red deluge as it was in 2019? I think there'll be more red than I like, but my tolerance for red is relatively limited. I think they overpriced a little bit, but we don't know what this market looks like. And so if they overcharged for a market, I'm not surprised. Again, we have to pay for some of this stuff. I would, you had told me that story obviously before we talked and I still whistled because that number is so obscene, but I don't know what's the right price for this. When that kind of enthusiasm, when you sell out the spring game, you're playing some games there and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. So is it overreach? Perhaps a little bit, but only in retrospect. Yeah. Well, I would I would think that we're probably going to have less red than we did in 2019, simply because, well, for search, for starters, the student section, you know, there's 12,000 seats that aren't going, I mean, hopefully are not going anywhere. Those students are going to be fighting each other to get into that game. Then you've got the sold out season tickets. And yeah, back in the day, I mean, there are people in Western Nebraska that would buy season tickets to see you just to make sure they got Nebraska tickets and stuff like that. But I don't know how many Nebraska fans were willing to be, you know, see season ticket holders this year if that, that number is very high. Yeah, there might be some season ticket holders that will sell their seats. You know, at this point, you could make enough money to pay for your season tickets. Coach Prime's first home game against Nebraska. I mean, you got to be some kind of a lame CU fan to be a yeah. CU, CU season ticket holder and not want to be at that game. So we we will see. I don't know. It uh, it will be interesting. There will be, as Brad, I think, as way you put it, there's always going to be if there's one red jacket in our section that's one too many and we had to sit through that lady in 2019 that after every single play go big red go big red mm -hmm. i mean and we never led in that game until overtime 
So three and a half hours of go big red. I just wanted to say go back home. But <laughs> hopefully there won't be as many red plaid fans in our section as there was, but there will be red. Uh, we just have to deal with that. And hopefully the CU fans will turn out and hopefully it won't be a 10 o'clock in the morning game, but it might. You know, it might be another Fox Network game at 10 o'clock in the morning. So, well, I mean, before we get to the last question, how do you guys feel about that? We're going to be at 10 a.m. for the TCU game. Uh, the big noon Saturday T uh, Fox Sports national game. It might be that uh, Colorado's playing Nebraska at 10 o'clock. We did that for the Thanksgiving weekend games a couple of times back when they alternated between CU, Nebraska, and Texas, Texas A&M. They alternate, switch back and forth, and we had some 10 o'clock games on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Other than not being able to tailgate as much, bother you to have a, a 10 o'clock game on Fox if it's a national game against Nebraska? National game being the key word there. I will attend a national game that kicks off at 6 a.m. or 10 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 10 p.m. Yeah. What, you tell me that we're going to be on over lunch on the East Coast. I don't care. I will be there. Um, and, you know, my, my days of lurching into the stadium after four hours of tailgating are pretty much done already. Anyway, so that's fine with me. How about you, Neil? Are you up for a 10 o'clock game? Brad, you've got all summer to train for it. So <laughs> I'll thank you in that line. You know, I remember those Nebraska games at 10 a.m. and a couple others, too. Um, it's not the same thing, honestly. Oh. 1.30 is great. 5.30 would be okay. This difference being allowing the tension to build throughout the day and really get that crowd hyped up. I would miss that, but like Brad, I'll be there. If I have to sleep in the Norland quad in order to get there on time, I'll do that. Um, there's also the possibility, uh, CU fans, that one of the pregame shows, you know, the Fox might do their pregame show here from Boulder. And that's gotta be another attraction to come and not sell your tickets and to be part of that. This is the beginning probably of something big for CU football. You can say you were there. You can tell your grandkids, I was there for that. So, yeah. No, I just the only thing I remember about those 10 o'clock games is sitting on these stands, waiting for the sun to come around over the, the top of the stand so we'd actually get in the sun, which wouldn't <laughs> be a problem in September. We wouldn't be worried about being cold and waiting for the sun to hit us. But uh, quickly, last question. This uh, You alluded to it earlier, Neil, the Pat Narduzzi quote, the pit coach. I grew up in a profession that you can't tell a guy he has to leave based upon athletic ability. He'll be shocked, and he'll probably have some pretty good football players in that room. When I got to pit in back in 2015, I didn't kick off anybody. Zero. Those are your guys. When you become a head coach, you inherit the team, and you inherit the coach. You get to coach that team. If someone wants to leave, that's great. You don't kick them out. I disagree with the whole process. That's not why I got into the game. What are your thoughts on the quote? Oh, this is from Golden Buff. Would uh, What are your thoughts on the quote? Would Buff fans react the same way if Nebraska or Colorado State did the same thing with their rosters? I think CU fans are classier than that. 
uh, than either of those fan bases. So I'll say no. Uh, that may be my bias showing, but I think Coach Narduzzi is making an apples to sour grapes comparison because <laughs> not, he would not be able to do what Coach Prime is doing now. If he were to vacate his roster, he would not be able to attract a new 75 or 80 player group like the way Coach Prime has done. So that's the sour grapes portion of it. Secondly, it's a bad comparison because the rules now are different than they were back then. It's a whole new game, as Brad mentioned, and it's going to become this. The first one through the gate is always the one that takes the heat. Another aspect of this that's true now, at least for CU players, which was not true in 2015 at probably most schools, is if kids were asked to leave back then and don't pretend coach Narduzzi that it didn't happen because it did. They were discouraged in many ways to transfer or to otherwise leave school and free of scholarship. It was just under the table. This is out in the open. And the choice that players had back then was endure hell here at this school and keep your scholarship or go somewhere else and get a scholarship. But if you leave, if we ask you to leave here, you can't have the choice. They didn't have the choice back then to continue as students on full student aid. And that's where Coach Narduzzi misses a lot of this is that any of the players at CU and many have taken this option. If they wanna stay, get a CU degree and have it paid for by the athletic department, they have that option. Or if they wanna continue their football uh, careers, they have the option of going elsewhere. So it seems like in some ways a win-win for players that are on the bubble. Okay. How many different ways are you have problems with what Coach Narduzzi had to say, Brad? Well, let's start with the fact that Narduzzi took over a team that went six and seven the year before. Okay. Is that different than one and 11? Perhaps. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say, oh, I took over that team and coached him. That team was two points away from being a winning team. So this is, um, shall we say, comparing apples to donkeys. There's no, it's, again, Coach Prime is doing something special. Narduzzi is of the old school. He's free to be of the old school. He's quite proud of being of the old school. But he's also lying about what he took over. He's lying about the situation. And he doesn't understand how current football works. That's the reality. Now, nobody, people on this podcast have said, Coach Prime lost players that we think could play on this team. He lost players that other Power 5 schools think can play Power 5 ball. And that's his process. We have no reason to think that process is not going to work. Uh, maybe we'll be wrong. Three years from now, we may say this is the worst thing that could have happened. But I guarantee if we'd managed to lure Narduzzi here, we wouldn't be getting, we wouldn't be on the big Fox News game. Yes, we are, we are the experiment. We are either the, the leaders or the outliers. Um, and we just have to live with that. And part of living with that is having guys like Pat Marduzzi, who probably has, you know, not changed his lucky underwear for 10 years, <laughs> telling us how you run our own program. 
<laughs> and this is the same guy that complained about tampering by USC when his start, the Blitnikoff winner, went from Pitt to USC last year. And yeah, there were, I agree, there's some guys we have, we have talked about it before, but maybe it's a dozen Power Five players that we lost out of 58 that left. So those 12 were not going to lead the team into a bowl game. So yes, there are several players that we would, as fans anyway, would have liked to have kept, but that didn't work out. Um, but we've talked a lot and we went through the questions that we got. Thank you, everybody that submitted questions. And we will talk again in a couple of weeks. And as Brad would say, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 media rights contract. <laughs> so general, know, someday I'm going to Yes, this, this is our tease for anyone listening, anybody that's made it this long in the podcast. By gosh and by golly, one of these days we are going to actually talk about the Pac-12 media contract. So maybe the next podcast will have that content. But until then, I will just have to say thank you, guys, and we will talk again soon. Go Buffs. Good night, guys. Thank you. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation, which has become the talk of the nation. I hope you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back in two weeks with Neil and Brad and we'll be discussing the finalization of the CU roster for the 2023 season, and perhaps, just perhaps, the new Pac-12 media contracts. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, Go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.